Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on the show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. Hope you are all having a great day. Special shout out, Yoshiko. Yoshiko Dart, I hope you are having a fabulous day. Okay, so now my my sponsor, Hi Mark. Thank you so much for standing behind us. They are our lead sponsor. Three years. Three years. They are so committed to everything that relates to disability. And oh my gosh, Chris, you're going to love this. 17 countries listen to this show, and the largest listening audience is in Ireland. Oh my God, you're kidding. No. And we got oh, that's the great. Irish. Yeah, yeah. They, and by the way, in Ireland, you are awesome. Keep, keep spreading what you're doing. Um, I mean, you've been in first place for so long now. Although Germany's trying to catch up to you, but you are our largest listening audience. And I knew well, that my partner and really just disability advocate and disability rights leader uh, known throughout the country for all the great work she has done. And what an honor for me that she is now working also with Bender Consulting. But Chris Griffin, oh my God, everyone knows her in the disability community for all the great work that she has done and still continues to be an advocate. But Chris, first of all, welcome to the show. Why, thank you, Joyce, and um, I think that's great about Ireland, and my father's family was from the Kilkenny area, and my nephew will be getting married there next October. Well, there you go. That's why I knew you would like that. So you better all spread this show then far and wide on Apple and Spotify. Um, But Chris, I know you you have all this experience we'll be talking about, but most recently you were the director of the Disability Law Center. And for our listeners around the world, could you explain what the Law Center does and what your role was there? Great. Well, the Disability Law Center, Joyce, is one of, you know, it's, I think it's unique to the United States. It's, it's one of um, 57 legally-based organizations that provides free legal advocacy for people with disabilities. There's one in every state, every territory, and then there's one that's specifically for people who are Native Americans. And we we made up, all of these organizations make up what's called the National Disability Rights Network. And um, every organization is funded differently, but uh, a good percentage of all of the money that um, that we get to do this work is from the federal government, from various federal agencies. And then, you know, other organizations raise money privately and, and through um, sometimes state funding, things like that. Uh, I was the executive director, and so my role was to run the organization you know, work on uh, the strategic uh, goals of the particular organization in Massachusetts because you're focusing on representing and and advocating for people with disabilities in the state you're in. So um, as the Massachusetts Protection Advocacy Agency, the Disability Law Center focused on what was happening right there in Massachusetts. And it, it runs from, you know, legal representation in cases such as housing cases, employment discrimination, housing discrimination, um, uh, education cases, special education advocacy, as well as working with state agencies, as well as suing some state agencies, and uh you know, focusing on what was happening at the state house politically that would impact the lives of people with disabilities. But our, our overarching goal was to make sure that people with disabilities in the state 
could um, have really equal opportunities when it came to um, the social and economic, uh, you know, opportunities that the state offered. So that that was really our overarching goal. But um, you know, there was never a lack of work, unfortunately. Yes, <clears throat> yes, unfortunately is right. Uh, which leads me to, you also worked as an appointee in the Obama administration as one of the five EEOC commissioners, which means you have so much experience in your life steeped in our disability history uh, and, and rights, even from when you were at OPM. Your opinion at this point, what do you believe are the greatest hallmarks of success so far? I think the greatest hallmarks of success um, really were mostly the work we did on on employment issues, starting at the EEOC, focusing on, in particular, the the federal government. Um, The federal government is a huge employer of, of uh, people in general. I don't know what the numbers are now. I've been gone for a while, but, you know, it was close to 2 million people that the federal government employed. Might be a little, might be 1.7 at this point. I'm not sure, but, um, you know, a huge employer across the country and in other countries as well. Uh, the federal government employs lots of people around our military bases and, and in a variety of other um, areas in, in different countries. And one of the things that always bothered me was that, you know, we were, we did a lot of work at the EEOC focusing on what private employers did and, and making sure that they didn't discriminate. And we focused on the federal government as well. But I, I don't think we did a good job as a government as a whole of focusing on the employment, our own employment of people with disabilities. And so when I was an EEOC commissioner, we really put a lot of effort and energy and created a program called LEAD, Leadership for the Employment of Americans with Disabilities, and with a specific focus on the federal government, that we needed to get our own house in order before we started telling, you know, other private employers what to do. And so that that was where it all began, and I think that became successful. Now, it took years to really turn this around and to really get the, the agencies to do what they needed to do, to, to get leaders of agencies to do what they needed to do. And after I left EEOC in the Obama administration, I went over to the Office of Personnel Management and we kept focusing on this, and we were lucky to have a president that signed an executive order that mandated what the federal agencies had to do, and the numbers gave them goals, and we checked on those you know, milestones and goals as we went along. And finally, after, I don't know, a couple of years, we saw um, some really good success, and there's been great success so far. And I, I think we just have to keep that going. You know that, you know, you were a part of making it successful. Well, I have to tell you something. You know, of course, I had never worked in the federal government, only with the private sector. I have to tell you, I, I don't know if I ever told you this, but I was so shocked at the low percentage of people with disabilities working in the federal government, because for whatever reason, I just thought it would be way beyond the private sector. You know what I mean? I, I mean, I was, I was really, um, I was really shocked. And there's no question that your impact there will be forever remembered, because thank you what you said, but it was really you. I remember, Chris, when I first heard you speak about it, the employment rate being less than 1%, I remember thinking, oh, my God, you've got to be kidding. How is that possible? And it was you that really kept pointing that out 
to everyone, everywhere you went. It was you that brought that to everyone's attention, which culminated in, you know, President Obama's executive order uh, signing at the 20th anniversary of the ADA about, you know, the federal government hiring 100,000 people over five years, which they did achieve. This is when you were uh, the assistant director at the Office of Personnel Management. For those of you listening that do not know what that is, that is the largest HR department in the world because it's over all federal agencies, all employees of, of the federal government. And that is where Chris was the assistant director, and she was originally nominated uh, when she became an appointee at EEOC by the late Senator Edward Kennedy, which I always thought was, you know, just so meaningful and such a great honor. But, you know, what what did that mean to you, Chris? On that day at the White House, what did that all mean to you? Oh, that was a great day. That was... You know, the culmination of a lot of work, and, and while, yes, I was the one out front, you know, yapping about this horrific uh, problem we had on employment of people with disabilities in the federal government, there was certainly lots of people working on this. I had a great team of attorneys working for me and lots of other people that gave me a platform uh, that allowed me to, to talk about this important issue. But it did, you're right, it culminated in uh, President Obama signing the executive order on the 20th anniversary of the signing of the ADA. And that was a great day. We were all at the White House. It was hot, 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 if you remember. You were there. And we were outside, and uh, um, I, I just, I, I couldn't have been happier that day. It just, we had worked really hard to get this executive order done. And we, in fact, we were working right up to the last minute. He was signing it on a Monday, and on Saturday we were still scurrying around trying to answer some really good questions that he actually came up with on Saturday. And... Um, and we got them answered, and he signed it, and, and I couldn't have been happier because I saw it as, you know, I think another uh, a tool. You know, what we found with my work at EEOC, it wasn't enough for Chris Griffin to just be out there saying you have to do this and you're required to do it, and under the Rehab Act, you're required to hire people with disabilities. It was really a president, you know, showing leadership and saying it was important to him. And that's really what it takes everywhere, in the private sector and in the federal sector. It takes someone at the top saying, this is important to me. I'm going to measure it. We used to say what's, what's measured is treasured, and it's true. And so it really was great to see someone at you know at his level, the top, saying this is so important to me. I'm signing an executive order, and I want the federal agencies to hire a hundred thousand people over the next five years. And they did it because somebody was was watching it. But we got to keep this going, Joyce. Yeah. And by the way, um, that day. That day was so spectacular. Um, and a fu- funny story for all of our listeners. Kareem Dale, a wonderful person, who was the person that reported, that was the disability leader uh, for quite some time, appointed in the Obama administration, really a great person. And I still remember when he called me and said, if you're driving, pull over and told me that they had selected me to introduce the president on that day and that I had to write this two-minute speech uh, that they had to review, and I was just all overwhelmed, so overwhelmed. What happens? Like a week later, we won this great, we were awarded this great contract uh, with OPM, and so the choice was have this great contract or introduce President Obama. So, of course, more important, helping people with disabilities get jobs. So now they had to invite, they had asked Robert David Hall, the TV actor, who many of you will remember was the medical examiner on CSI. Mm -hmm. A wonderful person. 
Well, someone did not give the right information to Valerie Jarrett. So when she did the introduction, she said, and now to introduce President Obama, that international employment leader, Joyce Bender, which I almost died. And then right at the same time, in a couple of minutes, here comes the voice of God. And now Robert David Hall. But you know what my friend Tony Quello told me? Well, look at it this way. People will know you were telling the truth because it was live streamed. I mean, I had all these people calling me, asking me what happened to me. Um, But I always said, you know, if I had gone up to people, oh, yeah, I was asked to introduce the president. It would be, oh, yeah, right. Well, now they know I was telling the truth. But I will never forget that day. It was a glorious day. And you know why, Chris? You are so right when you say it has to come from the top. It is exactly yeah. the same in the private sector because that changes everything. It really that does. It changes everything. It, so, it tells everyone in the company that this is important and you need to you need to work on this. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. Well, Chris. But, so, but for no, people that don't know, the the contract that Joyce got was to work on this uh, to make sure that this executive order was successful by developing, by interviewing, vetting, and then developing the database that contained. Uh, names and resumes of individuals who would have the skills that the different federal agencies needed. And um, that's, that's what really helped make this successful, was that the federal agencies could go directly to this database. They could say, okay, I need a chief financial officer. And they could search for this database. They could find somebody. They could look at the resume. They could offer, they could actually interview and offer this person a job under what was called Schedule A in the federal government. They didn't have to advertise the position. They didn't have to compete it. They could go directly to the person um, after interviewing them and offer them the job. And uh, it just, the ease and beauty of this really uh, made made this executive order successful, um, and, and that was all your work. Well, thank you, but it wouldn't have happened without you and OPM. That, and by the way, that is a great example of a partnership. How ideal mm-hmm. is it if companies work with a disability-owned business? Um, and I mean, what in a small business... That, that was really great, but you know what? I'm worried because we have to keep that moving in the federal government. We have to yeah. keep that moving. So what do you think? I, I know something you talk about a lot is just hire people. Um, yeah. You know, do you feel like, what do we need to do? Do we need leaders in all the agencies? Or what do you think has to happen to see that in, that percentage not go to below 1% again? Well, I think it would be ideal if this president would come out and say something similar or issue an executive order saying that this was important to him as well. Um, But I don't know if that's going to happen. It does take leadership. It takes, you know, the heads of agencies to believe that this is important to them. And to communicate that to their HR folks, you know, sometimes you have someone in HR, the head of HR, who, you know, sees the value of Schedule A and and the time they save in hiring people um, by using it and and using the database that you develop to to find people. Uh, but I, I don't know that all of them all of them really do see that value. And so it does take leadership. And, and you know, it's funny. I just saw, um, I don't know if you saw this on the news, it was announced that Goldman Sachs is going to, well, what the news said was they're going to hire more people with autism. But when you look it up, they actually are going to hire a lot, lot of, of people with um, a variety of disabilities. But 
when you look it up, you also find out that they're not going to hire them as the as the news uh, headlines and the and the national news announced on TV. They're offering eight week internships, paid internships, and they're going to start this summer at Goldman Sachs, offering a lot of um, different uh, opportunities for people with a, a variety of disabilities. And look, I, I think internships are really, really important for people with disabilities. It's a, a foot in the door. It's where you get experience, things like that. But it, it's got to end up with employment at the end of the road. It's got to end up with a job offer of some kind. It's you know, I, I'm hoping they're doing this because they truly are interested in hiring people with disabilities and not in the publicity they're getting just around offering internships. So internships are great and they serve a great op- as a great opportunity to get experience, but you know, if you're not gonna get a job um, or if Goldman Sachs isn't really gonna hire people with disabilities then that that's a problem. You know, that's that's not good leadership. Well, why that's a problem, and you're right, is that across America, why do I see these, uh, oh, we're going to hire all these people, we're going to hire all these people, and then you find out, no, it's an internship or, you know, or some yeah. part-time work. And as you said, that is awesome, but it has to result in employment. That's the right. only, right. I mean, and I know people will say, oh, but they're getting experience. And yes, that's good. They're getting, you know, yeah. uh, a few months experience. Something they can put on your resume. Yeah. Yeah. But 70% of people with disabilities are still not counted in the workforce, which what I mean is that doesn't mean that person will then get a job. You can no. hire the person. You can make the change. You can hire them. Um, and yesterday, Chris, the Cosmopolitan uh, had me go out. They secured our services to do a two-day training on employing people with disabilities. And actually, you're in one of the slides with your quote, you know, the only way you'll change the work face of America is to hire people. You know, awareness yeah. is great, but it's hire people. So now here we go. Here we are. I talked about this yesterday. I said, do you know that in like 1987, when I first went to that school in Pittsburgh and, and, and met these students with disabilities that no one would hire, and that's how it all began after 10 years of volunteer work, do you know the unemployment rate was 90%? I mean, the uh, number of people counted in the workforce was not 90 percent were not counted. Ninety, yeah. and every and everyone said, "Oh, that's so terrible." Oh, I said, and guess what it is today? Seventy, seventy percent. Yeah. I mean, that's horrible when you think that next year is the thirtieth anniversary of the signing of the Americans with Disabilities Act. No. I mean, it's it's almost unbelievable. You know, I no. said to them, someday. You'll be reading in history how I used to go to companies to teach them how and why they should hire people with disabilities. You know, it's like saying, this is why you should hire a woman. I mean, it's right. unbelievable. If it was any other group at that level, I mean, the people in this country would be screaming. But because it's people with disabilities, it's it's somehow okay. Mm-hmm. So... Why do you think it is, or, or some of the reasons? I mean, why do you think? Well, when we talked about leadership, but I think there still is this undercurrent of um, of society thinking that people with disabilities are unemployable, uh, you know, can't do the job, or will somehow present some problem if they hire them. You know, I used to hear that all the time. Um, and I think that uh, that still exists. And, and you know, the funny part is the only way to fix that is to get a critical mass of people with disabilities in the workforce. 
that's what will change it. Once people see someone like you, me, other people with disabilities working side by side with them, doing the same job, the disability starts to disappear, and it's the only place where I've ever seen that happen, seriously, is in the workforce. So we have to get more and more people with disabilities in the workforce for society to start changing their mind and to start believing that it's, you know, we're just as capable as, as anybody else. Right. That's so true. And by the way, if you're, for you that work at the federal government or if you work at a company, if you're thinking, wow, is that true? Here's all you have to do. Look around and see how many people you see in wheelchairs. How many people do you see that are blind or that use a service dog? How many people do you see signing? And you will be really shocked. You will be shocked. Most of us with disabilities have experienced uh, workforces where, you know, you're the only person with a disability. Uh -uh. You know, I'm sure there's lots of people with hidden disabilities who aren't disclosing and things like that. But that tells you something else about the workplace. If you're not open about your disability, um, that means you're afraid and, and you're afraid to disclose. So I think if we had safe workforces where it was okay to disclose that you had a disability... Um, we would all know more about each other and understand that it doesn't matter whether you have epilepsy or diabetes or uh, psychiatric uh, um, disabilities. It just doesn't matter. That's right. Yeah, and, but you know, yesterday I even said that. I said, I'll go to a company and they'll say, Joyce, we really want to start an initiative hiring people with disabilities. We've never done that. And I say, oh, yes, you have. Yeah, they're working here right now. They have bipolar disorder, depression, epilepsy, MS. You know, I could go on and on. Uh, But guess what? They're not telling you. And just as you said, so why aren't they? Why aren't they? That's the whole point. If there wasn't this stigma attached they would be talking about it, but they're not right. talking about it. And, you know, uh, Chris, yesterday and a few other times, I did some research. Where did this stigma start? Of course, you could go back to biblical days. But if you yeah. go back even in the 20s, this is a time period that there was forced sterilization in America with women because you didn't yeah. want to pass on, you know, Oh, this woman has epilepsy. We don't want another child with epilepsy. And I was telling them yesterday about how that went to the Supreme Court. And it was the Carrie Buck case. And by the way, she had epilepsy. And that Oliver Wendell Holmes said he ruled in favor of, uh, you know, the forced sterilization. And his quote was, Three generations of imbeciles are enough. And my point was, you know, think about it. Think how people would, you know, now obviously today we're not doing that, but look how deep-seated that was. Oh, yeah. All of the Wendell Holmes, the people, you know, people that love him knew that. Um, You know, I think they might change their minds. Because isn't that basically what Hitler did? <laughs> isn't that what he was saying? We've had enough. We don't. We can't contaminate. We must uh, sterilize and get rid of these people. I mean, he he did a lot of it too. As a matter of fact, he killed a lot of people with disabilities and sterilized them to prevent them from procreating and and spreading their disability. Oh. That was the worst part. It was at the same time period where all Mm -hmm. this eugenics was being studied in the United States, and he actually got that information, but the rest is history of how horrible, you know, that all these six million Jews exterminated. But you are right. The first group of Germans 
that were exterminated were people with disabilities. Yeah. Yeah. So what I was telling them is uh, my friend Edwin Black, who, as you know, wrote War Against the Weak and IBM in the Holocaust, his parents survived the Holocaust, and he did years of research wondering why, why, why would people do this? And so I showed them on the screen where he writes, there is one thing that was the corrupter of us all. And I'm asking the people at the session, and they're saying all different things, but the answer was arrogance. Arrogance, the corrupter of us all. And you know what? That is, as you always say, Chris, when people think, they look down upon people with disabilities because mm-hmm. we've got to have something going on here that 70% of Americans with disabilities are not counted in the workforce. And I wonder, Chris, did you ever believe when you started that the 30th anniversary it would still be like this? No, I actually didn't. You know, we were so, when this law came into being and it, this law made me change what I was going to do. I was in law school with an engineering background, uh, probably going into patent law or something like that that would, you know, help, would use my engineering background. And the ADA was passed, and I went to a seminar on it, and it, it changed my world. And I decided, oh, no, I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of seeing the world change for people with disabilities. Maybe it was selfish on my part, but I really did want to be a part of, of this evolution that was, and, you know, revolution that was going to happen. And and while it has, it has changed. I You know, I, I focus, I dwell on the negative. Uh, because I thought it would do more, and I think everyone thought it would do more. It's done a lot. It's done a lot for people with physical disabilities. The part that I, I think society gets better than they did, you know, 30 years ago. But what it, it really hasn't done, um, the unfulfilled promise is, is in the employment arena. Um, I think that's where we, we just have not seen the advances that we thought we would see. We just haven't seen them. So Yeah, so sad. Well, I have some yeah. exciting news to talk about as soon as we come back from break. But if you just joined us, we are talking to Christine Griffin, disability rights leader, nationally recognized, and we'll be right back with her. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voiceamerica. At Highmark, we believe what makes us different makes us better. Our differences broaden our perspectives and foster diverse skills which complement each other, creating a stronger and more vibrant workforce. It's this belief that earned us recognition by the USBLN and the American Association of People with Disabilities as a 2014 Disability Equality Index Best Place to Work. So we'll continue to celebrate diverse individuals because inclusion benefits us all. To find out more, visit Highmark.com. For those in leadership positions with corporations, governments, nonprofits, and educational institutions, please pay attention. Are you aware that 10 to 15% of your potential clients are unable to use your websites properly? At AudioEye, an advanced technology has been created that eliminates accessibility issues and levels the playing field for all. Make the Internet a meaningful resource for millions of more people. Go to AudioEye.com. More accessible, more usable, more people. Call on AudioEye today. Visit AudioEye.com. Since 1985, Bender Consulting Services has served as a national leader in advancing employment of people with disabilities, including veterans with disabilities, with private sector companies, and federal government agencies. 
Bender assists customers with achieving their diversity and workforce inclusion initiatives by tapping into a talent pool of individuals seeking professional positions, including those in the STEM fields. In addition, Bender services include disability employment consulting, training and technology accessibility through their high-test line of service. For more information, please visit www.benderconsult.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Disability Matters. If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joyce Bender. Welcome back, everyone. If you just joined us, we are talking to Chris Griffin, Disability Rights Leader, Director of the Disability Law Center, EEOC Commissioner, Assistant Director of OPM, just a life of working in disability rights and the community. And I am very excited. I have an announcement today. I I love it when I have an announcement. And Chris, I am so excited to announce that you are now working with Bender Consulting Services in Retained Search on executive level positions. It is so exciting. Actually, you've already handled uh, national searches and state searches in the disability area. And you have this background, EEOC, OPM, uh, with the Disability Law Center, you know, D-E-D-N-D-R-N. You know, it's such an honor to have you work with us. So what do you think about that, Chris, with your network? How do you think, how do you feel about it? Oh, I'm very excited, Joyce, as you know. I I think this is a great opportunity, you know, and and I'm happy to share with other people that I retired from the law center. My husband is Alzheimer's, and um, I need to be with him at this time. And, but, you know, I still, you know, I still care about what happens in the disability community. I still have the ability to play some role. Um, While I can't travel a lot of things like that, I was really happy to be able to um, use my skills that I have to to keep expanding, especially in the employment area, um, the opportunities for people with disabilities. So when I handled that most recent search, and you and I started talking about this um, opportunity, I thought, well, this is so great because we will be able to actually, hopefully, put people with disabilities in executive-level positions because I know when we do that, they will be leaders that think about other people with disabilities. They will be looking around the company they work in and saying, gee, you know, is this a safe environment for someone to disclose? Um, or will they experience retaliation for saying that they have a disability? Or, you know, is this a place that's really serious about hiring people with disabilities? And if it isn't, why not? So I think by putting someone in an executive-level position, we're going to, you know, open doors for many other people to come, and I think that's, that's really exciting. And of course, I'm excited to work with you. (laughs) Yes, well, you know, um, as you, if you don't know, in executive or retained search, an organization comes to a firm, uh, and, and we go on a retainer to fill their position. But what that means is, although you may hear about a position, you have to go through a search firm. So why I am bringing that up is if you are seeking employment, you know, you just heard us say how we're working at an executive level on how Chris is handling that at Bender Consulting. 
send your resume. C. Griffin at BenderConsult.com. C. Griffin, G-R-I-F-F-I-N at BenderConsult.com. And tell everyone you know, because you know my life is all about employment, as is Chris's, and we've Mm -hmm. got to move it up to an executive level. So, you know, only a small percentage of people have experience. But for those that do, whether they're in the federal government or the private sector, they too should have an opportunity to work at an executive level just as people without disabilities. So if you are thinking about making a career move, you can send your resume now, Griffin at BenderConsult.com. We would love to hear from you. Chris would love to hear from Mm -hmm. you uh, because it's important for us to have a database for when these positions come up and they already have. Um, And Chris will tell you, Chris, we're all about no pity. So we have high standards. I'm saying that now for businesses or not for profits uh, listening. We have very high standards about the work that you do. And like, who would know more about this than Chris Griffin, who's had, just think, the largest human resources department in the world. Um, And it will be easy for Chris to get back in touch with you. Uh, But Chris, I know you know it's all about leadership and the best possible skills so you can move forward. Yeah, it really is. And I I think, you know, we, we have probably a somewhat unknown network of experienced um, leaders in the disability community that, that are in executive level or just below the executive level positions, that are in management type positions, that if you want to move up, um, you know, let us know. Because we really, we're very interested in, in, in moving people into these positions so that Again, as I said, you know, we'll, we'll ultimately open doors for other people. And, you know, most of these positions are going to require some management experience, some um, supervision experience, management experience um, for nonprofits, fundraising experience. There's a variety of things that, and uh, skills that you will need, um, budgeting, you know, things like that. And so if people don't have those skills, what I would what I would say to people is if you want to see yourself in an in a, in a executive-level position ultimately, start building and, and obtaining the skills that you need, whether it's getting more education, whether it's taking management positions at work. Sometimes you have to take a position that you're not thrilled about. You know, supervising a group of people or managing a group of people or managing a team on a project. But you have to take it, and, and, and you'll be amazed at what you learn from it. And it helps you move along and move into these higher-level positions. But you really do have to do the work to get there. That is great advice. I want to add something to that. How many times I talk to someone with a disability and they are afraid to move, to relocate? Yeah. Yep. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, Huge issues. Yep. Yeah. All my support systems here. Are, what about transportation? And there's all these things. Listen, you mm-hmm. are hurting, hurting yourself. You are you are hurting yourself because it could be a fabulous opportunity with a much better compensation package, and you are limiting yourself thinking that way. And I'll bet you've yeah. run into that, Chris. Yeah, no, a lot of, you know, and believe me, I know it's hard to move. It's hard to move. It's hard to move away from your support system, your family, um, people that you've been around. But, you know, you, you build other ones. And relocating, people that are willing to relocate, 
uh, are the ones, you know, that, that companies are looking for. They're looking for you to be willing to take a job in a place that they need you. And so, you know, I'm not suggesting suggesting you move to a place where, you know, it's going to be impossible to to get a personal care attendant or anything like that. But um, there are lots of places that you can relocate to and build a new support system. That's and you'd right. be surprised how, how much your family will come and visit you in the new place. <laughs> I know I was. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what, Chris? Today, over the next few minutes before we end the show, I want to talk about something I think is so important, and that is voter registration for people with disabilities, especially when we have this presidential election coming up. Um, yeah. Maybe maybe you could reiterate that for me. Oh, voter registration. You know, we worked a lot on this with AAPD and the RevOp Project, and we... Um, the Disability Law Center started uh, the RevUp project in Massachusetts. We were, the, you know, one of the first to do that. And um, just I, I, can't, I can't stress enough how important it is to get people out to register to vote because you can't vote unless you've registered, number one. So if we want to increase our numbers at the polls, we have got to get people to register. And and then we can talk about getting them out to the polls um, on on the you know on these election these important election days, whether it's local, state, or the most important coming up the next presidential election in 2020. Um, the Rev Up program, register, educate, vote, use your power. Uh, there's a lot of information on aapd.com. Um, it can link you to your state and tell you about it, but it, it, it's critical that we, as a disability community, start being recognized as a voting force, a block that is as important as any other group out there in order to get the things that we need. Healthcare is a huge issue that's um, looming, really looming over the heads of people with disabilities right now. Uh, I, I can't think of any other way uh, that we can really be effective than to be seen by everybody in Congress as an important voting bloc, someone important that can impact them at a local, state, and national level. And we need to get our numbers up. We need people to register, and we need people to go out and vote. It's, 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 I, I, I can't stress enough how important this is. Yeah, and you know what? When you see the presidential candidates, you know, going out specifically uh, to specific groups, minority community, veterans, LGBTQ, uh, you know, Latina, whatever it is, Wouldn't you like to see that with the disability community? Wouldn't you like to see that, that we are stakeholders? And we are, but we've had a lot more attention if we had all people registered to vote. Even, you know, imagine 10 million people. I mean, we need, we are this huge voting blog that no one knows about. So please register and please tell other people um, and you can go to aapd.com for more information. But before uh, we end the show today, Chris, you've done so much in your life and you still continue to. So you have to have someone that really impacted you. So my question is, who is your role model? You know, Joyce, I probably wouldn't have said this when I was younger, but I will say it now as, as I get older. And my role model is my my parents. Um, and while I didn't always agree with everything that they, you know, said I did, what I I now what I now recognize is the unselfish nature of um, of the two of them. They raised seven kids. They never gave a thought to themselves. 
you know, they never, you know, we weren't particularly rich, so, you know, I know they went without things they needed to make sure we had what we needed, and not a, never a complaint about it, never a, you know, they never were unhappy about it or anything like that. They might have been unhappy with some of the things that we did, as there were seven of us, but they were never unhappy about their role as um, as parents and, and taking care of us. So, Yeah, and you know what? I, I just can so relate to that. And that is what is unconditional love. And that is yeah. also amazing that we don't see that till later. Isn't that fun? You know, when we're young, I we're I not you even don't thinking. Recognize. I, yeah. I always say, when you're young, you know, what are you hearing all the time? What did my parents tell me a million times? You better enjoy yourself now because when you get older, you won't believe how fast time will go. And I was like yeah. so tired of hearing that. And now, what do I want to say to everyone? You better ensure, you better enjoy yourself now exactly. because you can't believe how much fast time will go. It's so funny about that, isn't it? Yep. Yep, it is. Well, here we are. It is. We've come to the end of the show. Um, and Chris, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. I'm looking forward to working with you. Really, folks, send me your resumes. I'm looking forward to making sure that we get lots of people jobs and executive level positions. And, um, and then you can open the doors for other people with disabilities. That's right. All right. Well, our ending quote, quote on every show, and today it is, in disability employment, the only way you will change the work face of America is to hire people, said Chris Griffin. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. We are the leader in live Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com.